Thank you. <clears throat> I had to pay him extra to say that. So, uh, your pastor Brent is incredibly tall, and I am incredibly short, and so I don't know if I'm going to stand behind this the whole time. I feel like I'm getting swallowed up by this probably very small table to so many other people. Uh, but nevertheless, really glad to be with you guys again, my wife. Angie and I uh, were excited uh, when Brent contacted me and let me know that he was going to be out and he needed somebody to fill in and he wanted the church to be persecuted by some mediocre preaching and so here I am. Uh, so uh, if, if you got your Bibles, uh, I hope you do, let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles and we're going to look at the book of Jude which if you go all the way to the end of the Bible, you get this big apocalyptic uh, book of the Revelation. If you just go back one book. That's the little book of Jude. It's just one chapter, and we're going to be looking in particular at, at Jude verses 20 through 23 this morning. But there's several other places in this little letter uh, that comes from actually the, the brother. Uh, it, traditionally, we understand that it comes from the brother of Jesus. His name was Jude, half-brother of Christ, and it, it's, a, it's a fascinating opportunity for us as believers in the 21st century to look back to see what believers in the first century were contending with and to realize that not a lot has changed and there's a great deal that we can learn from what Jude was teaching in that very first century context. So let me read just these uh, few verses to you and then I want to pray and, and launch in here uh, into, the, into this message. Jude, uh, beginning in verse 20, he says, But you, beloved building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let me pray for us. Father, we would ask that this morning as we look into your word, that the reflection of our worship, of, of declaring how, how much hope we have in you and how deeply we trust in the gospel, that Lord, that you'll take that worship and now drive it even deeper into our hearts so that we might have a more full understanding of the gospel in particular and, and who you are in general as you've been so kind to reveal yourself to us. Lord, that we would see a portrait here of how we can live in this world, not with some kind of crazy Pollyanna, we really hope and hope and hope this happens, but Lord, with the sure certainty, with an anchor into how the gospel works in us and through us. So God, we pray that what we don't know you will teach us, what we don't have for ministry yet, that you'll equip us. And in all the ways that our lives don't yet look like Jesus, that you'll shape us so that we can honor him. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So Angie and I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon, we, we drove up here, and with the... Uh, the intention of doing something we'd never done before on a Saturday or any day, and that was to attend uh, the annual sauerkraut 
Festival. And I just want to say, Ohio, what are you doing? As we walked up and down uh, the street there in, in Waynesville, uh, one and a quarter mile worth of arts and craft booths, uh, at what we learned along the way from our friends, uh, Bretta and Rusty Spruill, that are here, members of your church, but they're over there working a booth as part of Bretta's uh, uh, of work and, and uh, her business. We got to visit with them for a little while, and, and Rusty uh, taught us a little bit about the Sauerkraut Festival, and one of the things that he he told us is that all of the food vendors uh, that are there at the Sauerkraut Festival uh, would, by rule, have to have some form of sauerkraut, right? And so as we walked up and down, uh, we started seeing things that I, I was not completely shocked by, like fried sauerkraut balls, uh, you know, uh, sauerkraut on fried bologna sandwiches. As, uh, as somebody who's from the state of Alabama, I appreciate a good fried bologna sandwich and uh, sauerkraut on bratwurst, and, and then it started getting a little weird. I'll just tell you, sauerkraut pizza. I was like, and then it was sauerkraut pie. And, then sau- and this was the one that just like sent me over the edge, sauerkraut fudge. And, and so, you know, and, and so, you know, it's all fun, and, and it's all part of the thing, and and I just thought, you know, what a, what a perfect illustration, though, about how it is that, that we're, we're constantly being conformed. Everything that we do, there is an outside force asking you to be like something. And, and, and so one of the things that I want to say to all of you who, whether or not it's the, our teenagers that are right here up front, which uh, congratulations and condolences, we'll see how this goes, to whoever is the most seasoned adult in the room today. We are all being discipled every day. You know, it's one of the things as Christians that, that and, and even as pastors, as pastors we kind of almost fret about it a little bit. As Christians, especially when we're parents, we also have this kind of thing that's constantly hanging over us about who is influencing our kids and who's influencing the people that are in our, our spheres of influence uh, and, and friendships and family. And, and, and we wonder at times, sometimes in the church, is discipleship taking place? And the answer to that question is yes, everybody is being discipled all of the time. Uh, some people are constantly being discipled uh, by another believer who is faithful to the cause. At other times, people are far away from God and they're being discipled by the world. There are some Christians that are being discipled by the news outlets that they watch all day long. There are other people who are being discipled by the books and the magazines that they're constantly reading. There are plenty of people that are being discipled by Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Faceplace all the time. And so we're always being influenced by something. And so as Jude was getting ready to write to these believers in, in this first century context, we get this little insight at the beginning of the book where he says, essentially, I wanted to write to you about the gospel, but instead I felt compelled to write to you, and he says in verse 3, to contend for the faith that was given once to the saints. The word that he uses there for contend is the same word for Greco-Roman wrestling, that type of grappling that we see in the Olympics every few years, where two 
men enter into the ring and they grab a hold of each other and essentially they keep every muscle in their body flexed nonstop the whole time that they're engaged. And he said, I, 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 had to, I was compelled to write to you to tell you that, that we're in a season, and, and I would say to Jude, and Jude would probably say to us, that that season has never changed from the first century all the way to now, that we are called as believers to constantly contend for the faith that was given to the saints. Because we're always being discipled. And so I, I want to show to you in the passage that I, show, uh, that I read earlier, I, I'm going to get there in just a moment, but first I want to show you that, that we all have to face down kind of one false authority and then I want to show you another verse in Jude where that false authority results in three paths that we could take. But in Jude 20 through 23, there is this beautiful portrait of the two holy habits that we need. So it's going to be kind of in weird order. One false authority, three false paths, and then two holy habits. One, three, two. In verse 8 of Jude, it shows us that we have to all face down this one false authority. It says, he says, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. There are these people that are constantly, it says, relying on their dreams, defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, and even to the point of blaspheming the glorious ones, even willing to blaspheme spiritual angels and beings from the heavenly realms. The only way that you get to that point is the one false authority that we all have is self. It is the idea of self-justification. If you read the entirety of Jude, and I hope that you will, it's not that long, it's just 25 verses, what you'll see is that Jude knew that there were false teachers that had insidiously crept into the church. This was not just like false religions that were out, on the, out in, the, in the Roman Empire. I mean, those are easy to spot. False religions, like when it comes to world religions, those are easy. Like, we understand that Islam is a false religion. It has a false authority. It has a false leader. Buddhism the same way. Taoism the same way. Mormonism the same way. There's lots of false religions that are very easy to distinguish between Christianity and how God has revealed himself through the scriptures and then come in an incarnate form in Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins in our place and then to be resurrected from the dead. There's a, there's, it's easy to figure out the difference between a guy who got up from the dead being divine and all the rest of the religions of the world. Jude was more concerned with people who were, they were attaching themselves into Christianity and they were perverting it. And they were perverting it by these ways of denying the authority of heaven and trying to take up their own position by, in, by living by their own pride and arrogance and kind of demanding their own pleasure. Again, he says that they rely on their own dreams, they defile the flesh, meaning they, they were willing to engage in any sinful activity that simply made them feel better. And they rejected the authority and they blasphemed even the glorious ones that they were willing to reject the, the authority of heaven. And, and so here's where you know where, the false, where this kind of false doctrine can, can creep into even Christianity is when there is a sense of self 
justification. I can make it on my own. This faith that I, that I hold on to is all about me having the best and better life. When, when it's all about God did all of this stuff just for me. Now, does God deeply love us? Absolutely. It tells us that time and time again. In 1 John, it tells us God is love. It tells us in John 3.16 that God loved the world in this kind of way, that he would send his son, and that the people of the world are, are valuable to God. But we must never put ourselves as the center point of our faith, of our Christianity, that somehow I am so glad that God saved me, that he fixed all of my eternity, and now I get to live however I want to in this life. One of the most insidious and deceptive uh, phrases that has entered into the English canon is the phrase, my truth. You've heard this? Well, that's your truth. Well, this is my truth. You know, you need to live your truth. It, it, what, it, what it says to human beings is that there really is no standard of truth, that whatever it is that you determine is best for you, just go live that out. And there are believers who are glomming on to this kind of idea as well, that I just need to figure out what's best for me, and I'm going to live that out. And, and there is, it's not just damaging to our understanding of the Christian life, and, and teenagers, I'm about to use what some people are going to consider a bad word, but I'm going to use it in the most theologically you know, accurate way I can. It's not just damaging, all the parents know where I'm going, uh, to our understanding of Christianity, it's actually damning to souls. It, it, this is actually what helps speed people on toward the gates of hell. It, it, it's, what, it, it's what speeds people on to, a, to an eternity separated from Christ to say, you know what, just live your truth. You know, whatever it is that you determine is best for you, just go ahead and live that out, and then God, he'll sort it out somehow in the end. This is not just damaging our understanding of who God is. This actually is a damning kind of teaching. And so there is this one false authority of self that we have to face down. But then verse 11, it shows us these three illustrations from the Old Testament of, way, of the way that this authority takes us down three false paths. Where it says there in verse 11, Woe to them, talking about all of these false teachers, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of grain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Now, I'm going to just give a really quick synopsis of those three Old Testament illustrations and encourage you to go and look those up as well. But when you give in to this false authority of self, I'm going to determine what is best for me, what is my authority, what is my truth, I'm going to do what's good for me. Then he says there's three ways that, that it plays itself out. One is the way of Cain. Now, Cain and Abel are the sons of Adam and Eve, and what does Cain do? Cain gets angry at his brother Abel, and he murders him. And so there's a, a lot of, uh, of talk in the, in the scriptures about the anger of Cain. And when you decide to set up yourself as your own authority in life, then that one of the paths that you're going to wind up taking is a path of anger. And then there's Balaam. We find the story of Balaam in Numbers chapter 22. Balaam is called by God to speak the truth, but Balaam instead takes money 
from the enemies of the Hebrew people to prophesy against them, and he gives in to greed. And so the way of Cain is anger, like I'm just going to be mad at everybody and I'm constantly going to be in an uproar about everything. And some people have made it their religion to be mad about stuff and incensed about things all the time. I mean, this is the way most of our news outlets work is what they want to do is they want to get you riled up. This is the way politics, unfortunately, often works is can, can I get my base energized is often code language for can I get them angry enough at the other guy. And so some people live in anger, other people live like Balaam, of greed, of I just want to get everything that I can get. My car is nice, but I want a nicer car. My house is big, but I want a bigger house. My clothes are cool, but next year they're going to be out of fashion and I need new ones. I I want more and more and more stuff. I want more. The third is Korah's Rebellion. And this was a group of people uh, within the Hebrew tribes that rebelled against the authority. Uh, Again, you find this in the book of Numbers chapter 16. uh, That they rebelled against the authority that God had given uh, to Moses and Aaron. And they said, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. We We want to determine our own path. And and so when you give in to this one false authority of self-justification, it is going to lead to one of these three paths. One is that of anger. You're just going to be kind of teed off at people all the time. One is going to be greed, where you're just going to put yourself at the center of the universe and you want everybody else to feel the gravitational pull that you are the center of the universe and they should care about what you have and what you got and and you want more and more and more. Or it is just this path of rebellion of I refuse to have anybody else tell me what to do. I'm going to be the one in charge of my own life. And these three paths cannot lead to Christ. They cannot lead to to following the Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. They don't follow in the way of Jesus who at the Last Supper washed the feet of the apostles, even the one who was going to deny him, even the one who was going to betray him, even the other ten that when he got arrested were going to go screaming into the night like little third grade girls. And yet Jesus says, look, I've set an example for you that you serve one another. And Jesus sets this example of service and of care for people, whereas the false authority that Jude says has slipped into the body of Christ is one that puts self above all others, and it always works its way out into anger, greed, or rebellion. And this is a place where I would just ask that you test your own life. Do you find yourself to be constantly just whipped up into a lather, and angry about stuff all the time, where you're just constantly on a hair trigger, where people flinch when they're around you, whether it's your coworkers or whether it's your family members or it's your friends, where they're just constantly wondering, is he about to go off? Is she about to yell? Are, are, are we about to have another tirade? Or do you find yourself in, the, in, the, in that middle slot, like Balaam's error, where You're just constantly running over in your mind what you do have, what you don't have, and what you want to have. Like, constantly thinking about, like, how big is my 401k and how can I get it bigger? Now, let me just tell you, as since not too awful long ago, I crossed the threshold into my 50s. Yes, I know it's shocking. 50. This, I know, it's terrible. I look like 31 years old. Right? Right? Thank you. Oh, favorite church member right there. 
I think about that. Like, I, I do want to retire. I, I want to have enough to retire and enjoy retirement years. One of these days, I'm hoping one of my sons and, and, and the girls that they love are going to give us grandkids and all of that good stuff. But I don't want to just be constantly revved up that that's all I can think about, that my house is this way, but I want it to be that way. My car is this old, and I want a new one, and these clothes are not good enough anymore, and my neighbor's got this, and I want that, and look at the grill that that guy just got, and can't I get a better one than that? But some of us, I mean, that's the lane that we stay in all the time is what we have and what we want. Or the lane of rebellion, do you find yourself there? where every time you, you hear or feel the authority of the Holy Spirit pressing you to obey the word of the Lord, to, to witness to his good works, to do this, what the scripture commands, that you just find yourself. There's this old way that it's, it's translated in the Old Testament about the Hebrew people that um, in the King James Version that it describes them as being stiff-necked. I mean... Some of you have, have picked up like a toddler before who they wanted to go this direction and you needed them to go this direction. You know, they were throwing toys everywhere and you needed them to clean up the toys and they started to have a fit. And remember when you picked up that toddler and, they, and here you are, a grown human being, and they're this little small baby child. And when you would pick them up, they would bow their back up and stiffen up. And suddenly they felt like they weighed about a ton. And you're like, how does this little bitty human being doing this? You know, they became stiff-necked. They just utter rebellion against everything. Do you find yourself in that position where you're always angry or you're always greedy or you're, or you're always like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Like, you can't be the boss of me. Well, there's two holy habits that when we see this one false authority and these three different paths that we might go down, there's two holy habits there in verses 20 through 23 that, that will set us back right in alignment with how God is working in us. And very simply, the two habits are the habit of growth and the habit of mission. A lot of people think that growth is something that happens supernaturally in a moment where like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this just happened, this is astounding, like revival has come, like spiritual awakening is happening, I'm growing in my faith. And I want to say to you that spiritual growth ought to be a daily habit in your life. Just like we have all sorts of bad habits. I have bad habits, you have bad habits, people have bad habits. You know, they're biting their fingernails, they're eating too much, they got bad habits here, there, sleeping too long, you know, staying up too late, whatever your bad habits are. What if we were to begin to think about holy habits instead of all of these fleshly habits? Like, I habitually want to grow in my faith. And I think that that is possible because here in verses 20 through 23, it starts by saying this. Let me read uh, verses 20 and 21 again. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, in, in the middle of all of those phrases, in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, there's one declarative statement. There's one imperative. There's one of those phrases that takes precedence over the others, the way that the Greek language is structured. And it is the one there at the beginning of verse 21 that says, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the one 
linchpin phrase uh, in, in that sentence. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is where growth happens. Is when you, you hear the call from God that he says, keep yourself in my love. This is the command of God. And, and, and these, other, these other activities that surround that phrase give us then the, the actions to take to keep ourselves in the love of Christ. He says, building yourself up. Keep yourselves in the love of God. But he says there in verse 20, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. That means it, there needs to be a constant engagement with the word and the doctrine of our faith. Now, I mean, you would expect a guy who, I wake up every day, my everyday job is I run a Bible publishing division at a big publishing company. And so you probably would not be surprised to hear somebody like me say, you should be reading your Bible every day, studying your Bible every day, in your Bible every day, with the word every day. But this is something that we know we know it intuitively as Christians, and, and I can tell you that I know it empirically from all sorts of studies that have been done about the growth of Christian of, 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 of faith in, in individual Christians. That the number one indicator and the number one practice of a growing Christian is regular engagement with God's Word. That's the number one thing. Everything else hangs off of that. Are you in the Word? Are you engaged with the Word? I've got a, a friend of mine who lives in Kentucky. He's a pastor of an Assemblies of God church. He reads his Bible through four times a year. He reads the entire Bible four times a year. I mean, he is hardcore. He reads somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 chapters a day. If you want to read the Bible in 90 days, you got to read 13 chapters a day, except for Psalm 119. That's all by itself on one day, longest chapter of the Bible. But if you want to read the entire Bible through in a year, you just need to read two or three chapters a day. Now think about all the stuff that we do. All the time I spend on Twitter, all the time we spend on YouTube, all the time we spend watching the news, all the time we spend reading our favorite magazines or watching our favorite shows or binging our favorite seasons of The Office. I mean, think about all the time that we spend with that, that the time that it would take to read two or three chapters a day, you read the entire Bible in a year. And so he says, if you want to keep yourselves in the love of God, you've got to build yourself up in the holy faith, which means engaging with God's word. But he also says, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now he doesn't just say praying. He says praying in the Holy Spirit. That means allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and, and to align your prayers with what God is already doing. I want to encourage you that as you pray, you should ask God for all sorts of stuff. It was Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of history, that he said, asking is the rule of the kingdom. I mean, he, he understood. All through the scriptures, we constantly see God telling us to ask him, to petition him, to cry out to him for what we need. But here is a really great practice that I try to put into my life. I hope that I'm doing it enough. And that is, when you move into your time of prayer, before you start asking God for stuff, ask God what you should ask God. Just go ahead and say, Holy Spirit, I, I've got a list of things that I want to ask of you, of things I want you to do in my life, of things I want you to do in other people's lives, uh, of needs that I know that people need have, have to be met in their life. 
but would you align my will with your will? Prayer has been uh, described to me like this, of being in a boat and seeing the shore. And, and the person in the boat takes a, a hook attached to a rope and they throw it out and they catch the shore. And they begin to pull on that rope. Now, are they pulling the shore to the boat or are they pulling the boat to the shore? This is what prayer is. This is a, the place. Prayer is, is, that, is that hook and that line where we can pull ourselves and align ourselves with what God is doing already. And so build yourself up in the holy faith through the word. Align your will with God through prayer. And then he says, and waiting in hope for God's eternal mercy. You see, this is this faith we have. There is a mystery to it. There is something that is otherworldly about it. I think it's why humans write the stories we do. It's why uh, the Percy Jackson novels were so popular. It's why X-Men and the Avengers and the Justice League are so popular. It's why we love science fiction and fantasy. It's, like, it's why we tell fairy tales to our children. Because we want to believe in something that is otherworldly. It's why the Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia exist. Because there's something in us as humans, and the book of Ecclesiastes tells us this, that God has placed eternity in our heart. We long for the other. And so it is not weird or strange that we as humans think about and hope for what is on the other side of this life. In fact, he tells us if you want to keep yourself in the love of God, then it is right and pour a part of your Christian walk that you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, that you be a person of spiritual hope. And when you put these three things together when it comes to growth in our faith, it engages your mind because you are building yourself up in the most holy faith through the word. It engages your will that you are aligning your heart and the prayers of your heart with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And it engages that part of the human experience of hope. Of I, I know that there's something more than just the stuff of earth. And people walking around outside of the faith know that there is something more. They all have that intuitive knowledge because God has said, I've placed eternity in their hearts. So as we face down this one false authority of self and self-justification and we test ourselves about are we walking in one of these three paths of anger or greed or rebellion, there are these two holy habits. This one of growth that has to do with the faith, with alignment with the Spirit, and with hope that is mysterious and spiritual. But there's also this second habit of mission. He says here in verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained 
by the flesh. This is where you get to join God in his redemptive adventure that is extended to others. It's not just growth for your own sake, just growth so that you can say, look, I grew, look, I'm bigger spiritually than I, this year than I was next year, but it's so that you can engage with God on his mission in the world because there are yet more people who are still lost and outside of the faith. There are believers that are in the faith that have wandered and need to be reclaimed. And so through these phrases, I think that he says to us that we need to be people who show mercy, who show urgency, and who show discernment. He says, show mercy on those who doubt. Here's another place I want you to think through the testing of the Scripture on our heart. When you engage with someone who doubts the faith, maybe it's even a believer who has just fallen on really difficult days in their life and they're beginning to feel shaken in their foundations or it's somebody who's not yet a believer and they just feel like they have a million questions and you feel like you're just running in circles of logic that are not going anywhere. You get frustrated, you get agitated, you get to that point of, you know, you just want to, you know, grab them by the shirt and just shake them or you just want to thump them right between the eyes and say, why don't you get this? But instead, he says, if you're going to grow up in the faith, then, then here's the deal. To those who doubt, show mercy. We should be a people constantly characterized by merciful attitudes toward the doubting. Remember, it was a, a man who was in, in dire straits who cried out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. He was like, I got just a little kernel of belief, Jesus. Can you please help me in all of the unbelief? And we need to be like Jesus in that moment to show mercy to those who doubt. We need to show urgency. He says to some of them, you need to be like the one who is, you're like snatching them out of the fire, realizing that, that they are in a spiritually tenuous position dangerous position that this is not something that we can just wait and wait and put off and I'll witness to them later and I'll talk to them about spiritual things later and we'll get to this stuff later but rather recognizing that there needs to be an urgency that these are people who are in danger like we've got to be on mission in the world like we're trying to snatch people out of a fire that is about to consume them and destroy them it is Jesus that tells us that that not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church that he is building. And that doesn't mean that somehow the gates of hell are somehow attacking us. We're the ones attacking the gates of hell. We're the ones that are the offensive force into this world, taking the gospel to places where it's never been before and reminding people that are in the places where the gospel has been for a long time how desperately they need it. And so as we're growing up in the faith, it ought to send us out on an urgency of mission. That we show mercy, that we show urgency. But he reminds us, but be discerning. That in the middle of all of this ministry, that you don't allow yourself to be stained by the world. To keep yourself holy and pure. Stay on the holy habit of growth while you're on the holy habit of mission. Having had time and opportunity to 
build a friendship with your pastor, I know that these are things that are dear to your heart. But like Jude, I was praying through, what is it that I uh, should bring to the people that I have visited with once before at fellowship? What would it be? Do I want to go and celebrate the gospel with them? But in this weird, wild, 21st century existence that we live in, from people who make their living as social media influencers to other people who work on assembly lines to people who are parents and they just are pouring all of their heart into that. that We live in this really odd time and world where people are everything from just an avatar on a screen to feeling as, as if they are invisible to the rest of the world. That what I want to encourage you that in this community and in this day and in this time, at your school, at your workplace, with your family, with your friends, in your neighborhood, the people for whom you can get your hands around, the the, the people for whom you can get face to face with, that you be urgent, that you be merciful, that you be discerning, that they see your growth, that you are, are aligning yourself with the heart of the Father. Recognizing that Jesus Christ, who has come all this way to die on the cross in our place for our sins, and then beautifully resurrected from the dead, makes this incredible offer that gives us hope for eternity that everybody longs for and so few people really understand. And that you don't have to be something else you just have to be you that God is working in and growing up and aligning and that he is keeping you in his love and that as you grow and as you reach out as you just speak casually and as you get to the heart of the matter with folks that all that is reflected in these few verses can be reflected in your life that you can reject the self-justifying false authorities. You can walk away from the anger and the greed and the rebellion and that you can fall fully into the embrace of the love of God on a day-by-day basis as you build yourself up in the holy faith and you pray in the Holy Spirit and you wait on the eternal hope that we have of Christ returning again so that people can see the good work of the gospel in you and hear the good news of the gospel from you. So I want to just ask that you join me in a prayer of dedication this morning, that you just pray along with me that this is what we want to have happen in our life. And, And if you find yourself in a position where you know you need to talk to a pastor or a friend about one of these issues, They're going to be here waiting for you after the service. They want to make themselves available, the leaders of this church. And chances are you know the right people here. And if you're brand new to this church, you can just come find me or Angie, and we'd be happy to talk with you as well and pray with you and see what God is doing in your life and how we can show you his answers from the scriptures. But in this moment, I just want to invite you to pray along with me that God would help us to dedicate ourselves do this work. Will you bow with me in prayer? Father, I am really grateful for your word that teaches us that you are able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of your glory and with great joy. 
that you, the only God, are Savior, that through Christ Jesus our Lord, that there is glory and majesty, and he has dominion and authority before time began and now, and he will have it forevermore. And God, we want to pray this morning that you would show us how it is that you want to work in our lives. Right now, as you're just seated there with your heads bowed, would you just join me again in a prayer of confession? Confess now. Just say quietly to the Lord, God, I have been angry. Or maybe you need to say, I have been greedy. Or maybe you need to say, I have been rebellious. Whichever one of those three might apply to you, that you've just been mad about stuff and things and people, and you just find yourself agitated all the time, just recognizing that's not the character of Christ, and confess that before the Lord. Or maybe you find yourself in a place of, of greed that suddenly you realize my whole life has been wrapped around the next thing I can get, the next experience I can have, the next pleasure of this life that is for me, whether it was through some kind of addiction or something that is in the dark of the night or something that you've put on full display for the world to see, that you're just constantly wrapped up in getting the next thing or the next rush or the next adrenaline rush or the next pleasure, that you would just say to God, please forgive me for giving in to that fleshly temptation. Or perhaps you just recognize there's just been a spirit of rebellion that God has told you his will for your life and you've said no, that God keeps leading you in certain directions and you keep saying no. God, would you forgive us for our rebellion against you of, of not being obedient to your word, not being obedient to your spirit, just doing our own thing, our own way, our, in our own time. And God, would you guide us and forgive us and cleanse us and restore those things that have been eaten away by sin. Lord, would you redeem us and lead us to be people of the word and of hope and of mercy. God, would you create in us a right spirit. God, we thank you that in all things you guide us back to yourself. You always welcome us home when we have been wayward and Lord, for those that you find to be faithful, that you give them great joy. So Lord, help us to be the people of God, displaying the gospel of our Lord and living by the power of the Spirit. For it's in the name of Christ we pray.